Why are you organizing domestic workers? Uh, well, it started out because, you know, I've been inspired by the women in my life. My grandmother actually is my personal heroine and has played a huge role in shaping my values and my attitude mm. on the world. I mean, she smiles and giggles more than anyone I know. And she just has the most amazing sense of optimism, despite having survived wars and poverty and displacement and migration. And so she has really inspired me both in terms of thinking about the resilience and strength of women and of the power of kind of optimism and love. And then my mother is also a really courageous, strong woman who came to this country, didn't speak English, and she came for graduate studies and went to school, got multiple degrees, raised two study? kids. She studied uh, chemistry um, and then got pregnant with me while she was in her PhD program. And so she she really was an inspiration to me also. But also I, I remember feeling like, gosh, she doesn't seem happy. I just, I don't remember her resting, taking a break. Like my images of her were always going to work or picking us up or making a meal or cleaning or doing something all the time. So I think that those two things of my grandmother and her joyfulness and my mother and her amazing tenacity, but also just like no space to live were some things that kind of shaped me and, and had a really big impact on me. And so when I was in college, I started volunteering at a domestic violence shelter for Asian immigrant women in New York City. And it was so clear that the odds were against any of those women really kind of rebuilding their lives out of that context, because all of them were working in jobs where you literally could not pay rent for yourself, let alone for your family. So the idea that you could actually break out of a pattern of violence just was it was just an impossibility. When you're in a violent economic situation in the first It's instance. exactly right. It's a violent economic reality. And for the millions of women who are working at minimum wage jobs, right? Two thirds of all women, all minimum wage workers are women. Many of them are mothers. The incredible pressure and vulnerability that exists at that at the bottom of our economy for women is just untenable. And I just, I saw that in such a visceral way. Um, and that's what got me interested in figuring out how do we create an economy from the bottom up that actually works for women, works for the most invisible among us. And it was always domestic workers who, I think because they work in such isolated conditions, completely hidden and invisible, who always wanted a sense of community and connection. So anytime we'd have a health fair or a meeting or a Know Your Rights session, it was it was like always the domestic workers who would come. Yeah. They wanted a So movement. the idea was just women who were in low-wage work, but it became about domestic workers because they They really they wanted the it. Table, so. They wanted a movement. And Organizing is always difficult, but there was so much interest on the part of women to come together and to build that it was like a steady growth, coming together, breaking the isolation, creating community, and then solving problems together. Mm. 
And those were the origins of our movement about 20 years ago. And today we've got women organizing in 26 cities around the country and this real sense of an identity uh, and a sense of voice that domestic workers, women of color, poor women, we need to be at the forefront of shaping what a new economy looks like. One of the first cases of abuse that I worked on involved a domestic worker who was trafficked here from Jamaica, actually to Texas. And uh, she was brought at the age of 15 to work for a family. They were executives at a company called Compaq, which I don't know if they still exist, but you may remember them. She was told that she would come and be a nanny for the family and raise their children and that she would have the opportunity to go to school in the United States and she would earn an income that the family would send back to her mother in Jamaica. And so she came here with that understanding and ended up staying with that family for 15 years and raised three children for that family and was never paid for her work. The family never sent a paycheck to her mother and eventually started cutting off lines of communication between her and her family. So for years, she thought that her family had kind of abandoned her or written her off. She was not allowed to leave the house freely. Um, and it was basically when the eldest child that she was taking care of was old enough to understand that there was something wrong with the way that she was being treated and the way that she was being held in that house. Um, that child actually took their piggy bank savings and gave it to her to help her escape. And she somehow got a hold of a newspaper that had an article of another case that we were working on in New York and this a story of a worker that was very similar to hers. And so she found a way to get in touch with us and we basically coached her through a process of thinking through how she might leave and what her legal options were and so on. And she ended up escaping. And there's obviously a criminal case there because she was essentially enslaved for 15 years. And she did not want to pursue criminal charges because she didn't want the children to grow up without their parents. So it was this amazing story of like, She's got this boundless sense of compassion and generosity and love for the kids that she took care of. We ended up filing a civil case, which we then won. But just that kind of compassion and the way that she understood what happened. And then the child and his kind of sense of what was just and fair in that situation and his involvement. And then the fact that because there was kind of a movement and a network, she was able to kind of escape that situation and seek some form of justice and rebuild her life. So just the combination of the fact that there's so much love and care that goes into the work in this setting. And it's, in fact, impossible to do your job well if you don't bring to it some level of caring and compassion and connection. And also the ways in which there's such stark inequity, the kind of sharpness of inequality in our economy is just encapsulated in the private home sometimes in this employment relationship between domestic workers and their employers. 
all of the complexity of that. And at the end of the day, the courage to kind of stand up for your rights and to seek justice and to try to have your voice be a part of a larger effort to change the way we in society value this work and protect it. All of that, I think that first early experience of that case and working on that case really gave me a sense of kind of when you're talking about human dignity, anyone's a potential ally here. It's just a question of really giving people the opportunity to step up in that way. And that's sort of how we've built our organizing eth uh, ethic based off of that story.